Uh, we have been in the book of Ephesians uh, for a, a bit now. We're kind of going through September. It's kind of our summer uh, series. Uh, so uh, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, and while you're doing that, I kind of want to bring us back to our memory verse. Uh, we're kind of working on memorizing Scripture. That seems like a good thing. Uh, so the memory verse is from Ephesians chapter 4, 31 and 32. It says, Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So there's three instructions. Be kind to each other, be tenderhearted towards each other, and forgive each other. And then there's the reason why. Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So let's try and say that together, okay? Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, with one another, uh, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Got to tell you, the 8 o'clock old folks are doing way better with this. They about got this one down. So not to create any competition or anything, but, you know, hey, when the 80-year-olds are beating you out, you know, what are you going to say? So, so uh, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at, at uh, verse 1, I need to give you a little context here. Um, you already know this, but, but Paul was the founding pastor at Ephesus. Uh, and, and so this church, is he's deeply connected to them. He, uh, most of the people found Christ under his ministry. So there's um, a strong connection. But after three years, Paul went and moved on, continued to his missionary journey, and planted more churches uh, around. Uh, but in that time, some false teachers kind of came into Ephesus, which would have been heartbreaking and hard for Paul. Uh, and there, was, there were two groups, really. Uh, one was the Judaizers, which were the Jews, uh, that said, in order for God to be pleased with you, you actually need to be circumcised and you need to keep all the law of Moses, okay? Which was not what Paul had been teaching. Uh, and then the other group that came in were a group called Gnostics. Say Gnostics. Yeah, use that sometimes in a sentence. It'll impress people. Gnostics. These people claimed special revelation from God. They, they said, hey, we're special. God spoke to us, and we had this prophecy, uh, and it supersedes anything that Paul says. And so listen to us because God speaks to us. And, and sadly, both of those groups kind of found some traction in the church at Ephesus, and the church was divided, already divided racially and now theologically. Um, and so what, what the passage we're going to read, a part of it is Paul defending his apostleship, his authority uh, in, in the church, uh, and, and his authority to teach and, and to lead. Uh, and so uh, the modern kind of equivalent today of this is what I think of as celebrity preachers. You all know what celebrity preachers are. You turn on the TV and it's a fancy show, and it's really cool, you know, and then they ask for an offering at the end. Uh, and you can see those on, on TV, or I think the modern equivalent is kind of YouTube these days. Uh, and so that's kind of what he was dealing with. The outside people didn't really know anybody. They blow into town, they do this big thing, and then they take an offering and they, they leave. Uh, so let's begin with uh, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, by the way, uh, you can open your Bibles or uh, on the, um, the sermon notes. Uh, it's on the back of that as well. And I'll kind of alert you to the fill-in-the-blanks if you're uh, doing the fill-in-the-blanks as we go along. So uh, verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. So he makes an interesting move there. It's not just that he's a prisoner. He's a prisoner because he preached to the Gentiles and he defended the Gentiles. So he's kind of reminding them of his connection to them, right? You know, I'm suffering, but I'm not just suffering to be suffering. I'm suffering because I brought the good news of the gospel to you. Suffered greatly for their sake. 
It's kind of that agape word, that agape love is self-sacrificing. He has sacrificed himself in order to bring the good news uh, to them. And he suffered a lot at Ephesus. He, he suffered the attack of wild animals. He was persecuted to the point that he thought he was going to die. He was imprisoned and eventually forced to, to leave the, the city. And so um, he has poured out his life to them. He's just kind of reminding them of, of the relationship and, and that they have with him. So then verse 2, if indeed you have heard of the administration of God's grace, which was given to me for you. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I'll, I'll tell you, in, in Greek, there's this whole big section, this one big sentence again. Paul seems to like really big sentences in Eph Ephesus. Um, and so let me give you the living translation of it from the Living Bible. This will help it make more sense. It says, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. So what he's saying is God has chosen him. It's not just a matter of revelation. God has chosen him to be the voice that speaks to the Gentiles. We should all say, thank you, Lord. Yeah, because we're all Gentiles. Well, most of us are Gentiles. If you're not a Gentile, then he's getting to that in just, in just a minute. So verse 3 Okay, that by revelation there was made known to, me, uh, known to me the mystery as I wrote before briefly. So write that right there. That is a slap in the face to the Gnostics. Now, I know we all read Scripture and think, oh, everybody's so nice. Paul is not being nice. He just really smacked them right in the face. He said, I have special revelation. You, you think you have special revelation. I have even more revelation than you, way more than, than, than you. Because these Gnostics were going around going, we got a secret and we're not going to tell you. And uh, whatever Paul says, God gave us a revelation and he's wrong and, and we're right. And so Paul said, you want to compare revelations? Let's compare revelations. Remember what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus? He is like not a believer. He's going to, to persecute the Christians in that place. And all of a sudden, riding on his donkey, God zaps him, literally zaps him and knocks him to the ground and speaks to him. And the people around him can't understand the words, but they hear that God is speaking to him and he's blind at the end of that. So you talk about a revelation. That's a revelation, man. If God did that to you, you would never forget, and you would pay very close attention, and you would do exactly what God told you to do. Okay, five of you would. <laughs> I don't know. You might want to think about that a little bit. Just, just a thought, you know, there. But he's saying, he's saying the revelation that God has given to me is way bigger than anything you could talk about. Number one, I don't have to because God has commissioned me to be a, a, an apostle to the Gentiles. But, but even beyond that, God has given me way more revelation than you. So verse 4, by referring to this, when you read, uh, read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of God, okay? Which in other generations was not made known to mankind as it has now been revealed by his Holy Spirit, the apostles and prophets in the Spirit. So this is where he drops the hammer on the Gnostics. I mean, he drops the hammer on them. So um, he's talking about the insight that's come from the Holy Spirit, so that revelation sort of thing. But then he uses this phrase, and now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. Say apostles and prophets. Yeah, and, and what you may not pick up on in that, but the apostles and the prophets are the ones who wrote what we have today as the Bible. The prophet, the role of a prophet is to speak for God. 
Okay? I know a lot of times we get a prophet associated with foretelling the future and all of that. But actually, if you look at the Bible, that was a small part of what they did. Mostly what they did was they spoke for God. And they often spoke to God in a difficult situation. Remember the prophet that came to David and said, you know, hey, dude, you're sleeping with the wrong woman kind of thing. Now, that's brave. Because in those days, they could just lob their heads off if they didn't like the message that came to them. And so when he says the, the prophets and the apostles, the prophets are what wrote the Old Testament, and the apostles are what wrote the New Testament. In fact, centuries later, when they're putting the New Testament together, the canon, the thing that we have today and call the New Testament, there were a number of qualifications. But the number one really big one was this. It had to be written by an apostle or under the authority of an apostle. Because it was the twelve that God gave the authority to speak for Jesus. You see that? So when he says that, when he says apostles and prophets in the Spirit, he's basically saying to them, unless you're an apostle, you don't get to speak for God. That you have to listen to them. And today we have that as our scripture. And so he's, he's saying here that, that he as an apostle has been commissioned and authorized and empowered by Jesus to speak for him. It, it's, it's an ordination, uh, if you will. In fact, uh, ordination is a really big thing in our church. Uh, it takes years to actually get to that. And when they ordain you, they, they, there's a huge ordination service that happens with lots and lots of other churches. We come together. If you've ever been to one, we, we drag them. We put them through a ceremony where they have to answer a bunch of questions, take vows. And then the last part of the vow is we bring them up there and we put them in an altar. And we have them kneel down with their spouse. And we gather all the ordained elders of, of our district. And they gather, and there's like, you know, a couple hundred of them. And we lay hands on them. And we, you know, on their shoulders and their back and all of that. And if we're feeling ornery, we push down really hard, you know, just, just you know, laying the weight of the Lord on them, the glory, you know. And no, we don't. <laughs> um, and then the general superintendent comes along and, and lays hands on their head. And almost the first thing they say to them is, preach the word. Don't preach your own ideas. They don't say this, but this is the implication. You don't preach what you think is important. You don't preach your ideas. You don't preach any special revelations God gives to you. You preach the word of God, the prophets and the apostles. See what he's doing to the Gnostics right here in this? He is just, let them have it. So at this point, I know it's hard to pick up in English, but Paul is really coming after these people. He has just laid them out in all of that. Verse 6, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise. So now Paul takes a left turn and he comes after the Judaizers, right? He's just annihilated the Gnostics and now he's coming after the Judaizers uh, because this would have been very hard for them. They believed that you had to follow the law of Moses or you weren't really a follower of God. So this would have been scandalous to them that, that Gentiles are fellow heirs, and, and members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise that goes all the way back to, to, to Abraham and all, all of that piece. You can just hear all the Jews going, oh, did he really say that? And the mothers are covering the ears of their children. Shh, pay no attention. That's not true, you know? It, it would have been a horrible thing for them, the filthy Gentiles. And so Paul is shooting at both of them. Verse 7, this is kind of a bloody passage. I mean, not literally, but in terms of the relationships. Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. 
He was made a minister. God has ordained him, if you will. Uh, He's given him the authority to speak through the laying on of hands and through the affirmation of the other apostles in this. All of this was accomplished by the working of God's power. Say, God's power. So if you're following along in the notes, here's the first one. God's work is done by God's power. Amen? God's work is done by God's power. I don't care how smart you are or how clever you are or how good you are at managing things and putting things together and creating programs. If you try to do God's work in your power, you are going to fail. And not only that, you're going to create a mess for others because God's work is done in God's power. God will give you the power to do the work that he has for you. Just like we have to plug our appliances into the power that comes through our walls, we have to plug into God in order to accomplish his work. Here's the second half of that, though. And again, this is in your notes. God's work is done through God's people. Amen? God Rarely does the God do what we call a vertical miracle where he just changes everything. Almost always he works through us to accomplish what he wants done. And it often looks like a miracle. And I would argue that it is a miracle. And you've heard me say this before, but the classic example, I remember growing up and we were lived in a very poor place and people would be in dire, dire financial need. And I remember uh, that, that, that they would come back with these testimonies about how we need $100 and that was a lot of money back then because I'm old and that was a long time ago. And, and they would be praying for a miracle and praying for a miracle. And they'd come to church one day and they said, it was a miracle. I got this envelope in the mail and it had a $100 bill in it and no return address. And I remember thinking, wow, that was a miracle. And I really thought that was the coolest thing ever until one day I saw my parents at the dining room table putting a $100 bill in an envelope and addressing it to somebody in our church. And I suddenly realized that God's work is done through God's people. Amen? Does that make it any less of a miracle? No. God calls his people to do his work. God worked through Paul to reach the Gentiles. And he works through you, and he works through me. Amen? Say to the person next to you, God works through you and me. Yes, God chooses to include us in in his work. Uh, So therefore, here's what we know. Therefore, your life has eternal purpose. Okay, now you're just doing it to copy each other, okay? Okay. Your life has eternal purpose. Yes, your purpose is not to pay the bills and keep the lawn mowed, okay? You have a bigger purpose than that, and that's what he's saying through this. And some of you, I know, I know some of you, some of you are like, no, 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 not me. I messed up. If you knew what I was like, I don't have any talent. You know God says that's a lie, right, because he gave you talent. I'm too shy, or I'm too outgoing, or I'm too full of fear, or I always get in trouble. And it's like we're just kind of whining about all that and making excuses. And in this passage, Paul is basically saying to, to, to all of us that kind of back up on God's will, stop it. Just stop it. Stop whining. Stop saying no. Say yes to Jesus. Amen? Okay. So now, lest you think, well, Paul was a superstar, right? I mean, like half of the New Testament is written by Paul. It's not fair for him to compare to us because I don't have that kind of gift. Read in verse 8. To me, here's Paul speaking, the very least of all the saints. The very least of all the saints. And notice he doesn't say the least of all the apostles. 
which was like the, the really, he says the very least of the saints. That was like everybody who's a follower of Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but you're a saint. Not in the Catholic sense, but you're a saint in that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a saint. He said, I'm the worst, and he could make a case for it. He used to kill Christians for a living. He tortured them and persecuted them. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace has been given, this grace to the Gentiles, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Remember last, last uh, uh, week, he talked about the riches of Christ and the riches of grace. Now he adds the word unfathomable. You, you can't possibly know how rich and deep the, the, the grace of Christ is that we have uh, in him. And to enlighten all people as to the, what the plan was, of the mystery, what the mystery is, which for ages have been hidden in God who created all things through this. So uh, Paul was saying to them, I, I'm not that talented. And actually, you can make a case for this. There are several places where they kind of talk about Paul in Scripture. And one of the things we know about him was he was a lousy preacher. I mean, he was bad. Everybody says, you know, in, in, in his letters, he's really strong. But in person, he's like, yeah, whatever, you know. He, he was dull. He was hard to understand. They talk about that. Um, they talk about kind of the weakness of his personality. Powerful in letters, but just kind of weak in, in person. And, and in, in fact, besides all of that, he's one of the very few people ever that actually killed somebody during preaching. Remember the story in Acts? There's a little boy in a window, and he's gone on so long and so boring that the boy falls asleep, falls out of the window, and dies. Well, of course, Paul raises him up. But it still gives me great comfort when I preach a stinker. I think, well, I haven't killed anybody, so I'm head of Paul. You know, life isn't all that bad. <laughs> Just like Paul, we all need the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Amen. Okay. Verse 10, so that the multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. I love that multifaceted wisdom. The original language, it's multicolored uh, wisdom kind of thing. It means that God's wisdom is just beyond anything you can understand. Might be made known through the church. Now, you all know you are the church, right? This building over here, this is not the church. This is Generations Community's facility, but it's not the church. And you're not going to church. You are the church. Amen. Say, I am the church. Look at the person next to you say, you are the church. Yes. And it's made known through the church, through me, through you, through all of us that are followers of Jesus. God has chosen to work through us. Amen. You have an eternal purpose. Uh, God's uh, work is done through God's people, the church. Then, if you're filling in your notes again, the church of Jesus is a supernatural organization. The church of Jesus is a supernatural organization. Amen? Okay? And by supernatural, I don't mean like cheap tricks or Hollywood magic or the circus, you know, TV preachers, YouTube preachers, all that kind of thing. But the church has been empowered to deliver the message that a life can be radically and supernaturally changed forever. That's supernatural. That's a change that goes beyond anything you can imagine. That broken lives can be fixed. That those who think they are dead can be raised to new life again. That is what we are going to do in baptism. Amen? We celebrate what God has done. The power of the resurrection of Christ runs through his church, his people, you and me and everyone. Amen? All right. So 
God's people, directed and empowered by God's Spirit, is His chosen vehicle to change the world. Amen? Change the world from pagans to following Jesus. Uh, Paul uh, got to see that over and over and over again with the Gentiles. Nothing else in the universe compares to this. Verse 11, it was, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carries, carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. From the very beginning, eternal purpose, Christ knew that you were going to screw it up. And he prepared ahead of time for it. I don't know about you, but that gives me great comfort. Right? You know, that he just knew. And so he was, he was prepared for that. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. And I think we in the 21st century miss the context there. Because you have to understand in the first century, when, when a, a, an emperor or a king had court, if you came in bowling into his court without his asking you to come into his court, he could kill you. They, they, would, they would lob your head off. You'd just be a bloody spot in the middle of the, of the floor of, of his court if you did that. They had to often hold out their scepter to you or something like that. And Paul is saying that with our king, you can just bang the doors open and go, hey, God, I'm here. And he goes, yay, welcome. I'm so glad to see you. That makes some of you uncomfortable? Good, good. That's what it's intended to do. Bold and confident access to our God. Verse 13, Therefore I ask you not to become discouraged about my tribulations uh, on your behalf, since they are your glory. It must have been discouraging for the people at Ephesus to see their founding pastor, the one who had led many of them to Christ in prison, right? I know that'd be discouraging to me to see the people that led me to Christ there. And, and you got to think they're thinking, what, what happened? How did this, how is this going on? I, I, I don't get this. What's going to happen to Paul? And the message that he talks about for their, for their glory is the message I've said to you over and over and over again, and that is this, God's got this. Amen? Whatever you're facing, God's got this. Even if you're in prison, Paul's saying, God's got this. Don't worry about me. One of the things that is amazing with me, all of the letters that Paul wrote in prison, not once did he say, pray that God will get me out of here. He always prayed, help that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be powerful, that people will hear and lives will be changed. God's got this. Say, God's got this. That's in your notes. And this, God is with you and God is for you. Say that together. God is with you and God is for you. Look at your neighbor and say, God is with you and God is for you. And here's the truth. Your situation is really God's situation. If you're following him and you're being obedient to him, he wasn't surprised by what's going on in your life. My last church, uh, we had a large African-American population. And one of the things that they used to say that's really stuck with me, they used to say, if he brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. Amen? If he brought you to it, he'll be, let's say that together. If he brought you to it, he will bring you through it. God never, ever asks you to do something and then abandons you. He is always with you, even if you can't see him. In fact, God even has a name that means that, Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. In fact, if you think about it just for a minute, sometimes scripture is obvious, but it's hard for us. Wouldn't it be downright foolish to crawl out of God's hand in the middle of the storm? I mean, this is logic 101. It's kind of like Peter. You can trust God in the midst of the storm. And then God always brings good out of bad. 
God always brings good. Philippians 8.28, all things work together for good. And he was in prison. Here's, here's a little thing I hadn't thought about uh, that, that kind of struck me this, this week. Uh, Paul spent a fair amount of time in, in prison. And I would imagine that was hard for him. And he was like, uh, why are you sending me here? All of those sorts of things. Um, and and what, what are you doing through all of this? And yet, do you know what Paul did while he was in prison? He wrote letters to the churches. And we know that Paul wasn't a great preacher, but he was an amazing letter writer. And now you think about this, God, God's got him in prison, and he's not only blessing people in, the next, in Ephesus and Philippi and Rome and all the places where he wrote, 2,000 years later, in a place called Marysville, a preacher is standing up and reading the words that Paul wrote while he was in prison, and it is still blessing people and changing lives. I'm telling you, God brings good out of bad. Amazed by his obedience. And then, with your notes still, God is still calling women and men into the ministry today. God is still calling women and men into the ministry today. Some of the saddest stories I hear is when someone who is much older will come to me and we'll get to talking and they'll say, you know, when I was a teenager, God was calling me into ministry. And I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do this other thing, or I was afraid, or I didn't know how to go about doing that. And, and here they are decades later, and they'll say, you know, I really wish I'd followed God and gone into the ministry. And so I just want to encourage you today. If God is speaking to you, open your heart to him and follow him. Teens, maybe God is calling you to the work of the ministry. It will not be easy. It will be hard. It will also be the most rewarding thing you can possibly do with your life. We have those people in our church. Our worship leader, Kramer, grew up through this church. And it was in high school, between high school and college, that he received a call. You should ask him about it. It's pretty cool. God just about, he just about had a Paul experience. Like God got him on the road. Only fortunately he had a car, so he didn't crash into anything, you know. Maybe the easier donkey. Another one of our teens that accepted a call to ministry, Gunner, just finished up at our college, and I'm pretty sure he's going to our seminary in the fall. God is still calling women and men into the ministry. We've seen it in adults, the Bennetts, Dr. Uh, Dr. Bennett and his wife, who spent years and years and years in Papua New Guinea serving Christ through one of our hospitals. God calls in the middle of life sometimes, or even in retirement. Gary and Naomi Fawcett, our Wednesday night uh, missionaries are going to be here. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be here because I'm going to be on vacation. But I, I really encourage you to talk to them. Uh, Gary attended this church. Gary and Naomi attended this church for a number of years. And one day we were getting ready for a mission trip. And I said, Gary, you really need to go on this mission trip with us. He said, you know, I've been on mission trips with the lions a lot. And it, it's good. And we bring glasses and we do stuff. Why do I need to go on this one? I said, because you will encounter God if you go on a mission trip. And he's like, eh, okay, okay, I'll come down there. I mean, we had hardly gotten off the plane and God was on him. I mean, on him. And as we worked through the week, God just kept speaking to him. And pretty soon he came to me and said, Pastor Craig, God's doing something. He's making a change in my life. I don't know what's going on. And he was about ready to retire and all of that. And by the end of that week, God had made clear to him that his retirement that he had planned wasn't going to happen. That in fact, God wanted him now in retirement age to become a missionary. And in order to fulfill that, he and Naomi ended up having to go and learn a second language. Can you imagine learning a second language in your 60s? 
or 50s, or 40s, or 30s, or 20s, or I can't even speak, I only speak one language. And yet now God is blessing them and doing extraordinary things through them. God is still calling men and women into the ministry today, and if he is saying that to you, follow him. So let me finish with what I always finish with. What is Jesus saying to you this morning, and what does Jesus want you to do? How does he want you to react to what you've heard from God's word this morning? And we're going to celebrate. We're going to continue the service in celebration this morning with people who have said yes to Jesus. And we are going to have some baptism. Some of our children, some of our teens and some adults are all going to get baptized. So if you guys could get ready. If you're planning on being baptized and you haven't checked in with Joni, uh, would you check in with Joni if she's over here? Because she's kind of running the operation uh, through this. So let me quickly, uh, worship band, get ready to come up in just a second. Let me tell you what baptism is because it's important we understand this theology. Number one, baptism is a public proclamation. Amen? It says to the whole world. In fact, in some countries, you can get dead by getting baptized. Number two, it's a rite of initiation. It's the beginning thing. It's where you join the church of Jesus. Number three, not the church of Nazarene, the church of Jesus. Number three, it's a symbol of the covenant vows you have made to God. Anybody have a ring on their finger like this, on the the ring finger of their left hand? Okay, a few of you. I don't know, maybe we don't wear rings anymore. This is a symbol of a covenant I made to my wife. And I said on that day, until death us do part, there will be no one else. Amen? And every time I look at that, I'm reminded of this. And every time we baptism, you, you'll find that we'll, co- we'll say to everyone, remember your baptism. Remember that you are a covenant follower of Christ. It's a symbol of the washing away of sins. Water washes away sins. It's a means of grace. You meet Christ in that moment. I have a pastor friend who likes to say something happens in the water. And I've had so many people say, Pastor, I got baptized just because you said I should. And I didn't think it was going to be that big a deal, but something happened in the water, and all of a sudden God met them in that moment. It's a sacrament. It's a sealing with the new covenant, the stamp of God's ownership on you, and it is holy party for the church. Wow, we're going to have to work on that. Okay, It is holy party for the church. Yes. So I'm going to read scripture, and then we're going to start into the baptism. We're going to sing just a little bit. But here's the rule. When they come back out of that water, that represents resurrection life in Christ, and you need to make a lot of noise. Okay, I expect complaints from the people up in those houses over there, okay? So loud whistle. I've told you before. I, we did this in Brazil one time, and they had like trumpets and trombones and like plastic things and drums that they would beat, and they would hold up the banner. We got to at least get close to them, amen? Yeah. Man, let's worship the Lord.